Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Marty, and I uh, have the privilege of working with the Grace Adventist Center and Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in Adelaide, and I'm joined by Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary, hasn't it been just such a beautiful day today? Oh, look, it's lovely here. You know, here in Adelaide, I mean, it's uh, it's starting to warm up. Uh, spring has certainly uh, come in with a, a little bit of a vengeance. Thirty-two degrees today. As I was driving here, we're about to get a big uh, change come through apparently uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, um, probably my one complaint is my hay fever is really kicking off big time. Really? Okay. So the warm weather and all the uh, extra pollen, etc. In the air is, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, causing yeah. a bit of grief there. Uh, it is, and uh, you know, it means medicating most days now, but yeah, okay. uh, that, that only goes on for a week or two, and uh, we're back to normal again. All right, all right. Well, that's that's good to hear, Pastor Gary. And you know, isn't it just wonderful? I'm just amazed at how good you feel when it's warm outside. You know, I feel like I've just you know, got more zest for life. Oh yeah, look, I, Marty. This morning I was out uh, doing my doing my walk, and I started walking about uh, six o'clock, and uh, the sun was getting up about um, uh, about twenty to seven, and uh, I, I did my my seven and a half k's, and uh, I I just found the, the the vibrance at that time of the morning. The you know I don't wear a, a headset or anything like that. Uh, to me, I like to listen to the birds chirping and the uh, you know just the sounds of nature i got a bit of a park that i can uh, i can walk through and uh, there's so many sulfur crested cockatoos in the park and you uh, uh you can only just uh, just worship uh, the lord god uh for uh, you know the really good things that he's created absolutely and there is so much beauty in in God's creation, it's just, it is just wonderful and it does lift our hearts and it gives us encouragement and feel, helps us to feel more joy and more happiness. Mm. Well, I just want to take, uh, take this opportunity to touch on a subject before we, before we dive into our, our big subject today, which is we're continuing actually with our theme, the Bible, the church and the environment. And we're going to answer the question, uh, Ledato Diem. Is this the solution? Of course, this is the Pope's second encyclical on the issue of climate change. And does, does the religious world actually hold in its possession the key to unlocking this, this issue of climate change? Mm-hmm. So we're going to come to that in, in just a moment. But um, before we do that, I did want to talk about green Sabbaths. Um, there's some interesting articles that uh, that I've that I'm going to share. Uh, some some interesting points here. The first I want to pick up on is actually from the Pope's first encyclical, and that was Laudato Si. And um, at Laudato Si, this was of course released in 2015, and this was Pope Francis. His uh, this was his encyclical on climate change, and. Um, and I want you to um, consider 
how much of an impact that uh, that this has really had and how much of there is a global movement in this issue of climate change. In fact, in 2021, there was a climate change summit held in Glasgow in Scotland. And, um, and actually... If you look online, you'll notice there's a, 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 a statement in partnership with Italy. So this um, climate change summit at Glasgow 2021 was in partnership with Italy. And um, anyway, it's interesting that the Pope was invited to actually present at this particular climate change summit. Now, he wasn't able to make it in person, but he did speak via an online platform and he did address the the summit and here's something here's here's what he said um or here's his message rather that was played it was a recorded message that was played at the conference and he said here's i'm quoting what he said said these crises crises in other words this issue of climate change present us with the need to take decisions radical decisions that are not always easy these also present opportunities opportunities that we must not waste and the question in my mind pastor gary is what exactly um, might those opportunities be what are these radical decisions that potentially might need to be to be made and this is this is an interesting point out of the uh, out of this climate change um, summit there was something that was advocated called climate sunday mm-hmm. now climate sunday was simply the idea that churches that that typically would meet on a Sunday would actually once a year simply hold a worship service totally dedicated to this issue of climate change. Mm. And the idea being that we need to um, have a have a non-commercial um, rest, you know, we need to rest the environment. And um, and some have actually seen this as potentially leading to the idea that we need to have what's called Green Sundays. Mm. In other words, the Green Sunday, the idea of it is to make Sunday a weekly rest day in order to save the environment. It seems like a kind of this brilliant um, brilliant strategy, if you like, to deal with this issue of climate change. It sounds quite simple. Sim- to cut down on carbon emissions and actually restore potentially families, potentially to protect us from greed, and even to bring us back as a society to God, there's this idea of green Sundays. Now, what is, what is, what's your initial thoughts about this concept, Pastor Gary? You know, should we be concerned about the environment? Yeah, look, I, I think what you, you actually bring up a really good, uh, a good point here, uh, because I am, uh, I'm so conscious that what is occurring at the present time, there is a transition that is occurring, uh, amongst, uh, many, uh, religious, uh, religious people. We're so conscious of the, the secular world 
in which we are living that uh, religious people are starting to say, hey, look, perhaps we need to take the, uh, you know, the principles of scripture uh, more seriously. And hence you get this thing called the Green Sunday. You know, have the day off. Have it with family. Uh, have it with, you know, this is uh, maybe a Sabbath as God intended it to be, although it's been secularized itself uh, because it's have it with a family. It's not so much being presented as a as a day of worship, but rather as a day of uh, uh, of family and um, uh, and uplifting the um, uh, the needs of the uh, of the individual. Now, look, Marty. Uh, to me, uh, do I believe? Uh, that, uh, in, in the Sabbath. Of course I do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. So I believe, you know, I've, I, I've spoken about this on many, many occasions about the need to actually have, uh, a day in seven. You know, God actually was, God is so clever, uh, when he said, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your mate. In other words, give your family an entire day off. Don't go ploughing the field. Absolutely. This isn't yeah. just for you, but this is for your ox. Uh, you know, this yeah. is this is for your servants. You've got to have time off. But to me, the thing that's really significant is that the commandment, uh, when God presents it, what he says is that uh, the Sabbath is the, is the seventh day of the week. It's a memorial of creation. Uh, that's how it is actually presented. Now, you know, Marty, one of the really interesting things that I, uh, I find is that, uh, you know, certainly if you look at the religious world today, um, God says, uh, look, uh, I want you to have uh, the seventh day. Uh, in another place, he calls it a sign between him and uh, the human race forever. Uh, and to me... Um, what we find is that uh, that God uh, presents this day, this day to fellowship, this day to worship the Most yes. High God. But you know, if you go to the religious world, what you what you find is that there's a huge portion of the religious world that says, "No, Friday's the day I'm going to worship." And of course, that's the entire Islamic uh, world worships yeah. on Friday. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the majority of the Christian world says, "No, I'm going to worship on uh, on Sunday." Uh, and whereas God, right through the Scriptures, in fact, um, sometimes people have said to me, "Look, uh, uh, Pastor Gary, you know why? You know why make such a fuss?" About this issue of the Sabbath, well, my explanation is actually quite quite simple. Uh, I I actually want to do as a Christian what Jesus did. Do you know what Jesus yeah. did? Yeah. Uh, is worshipped uh, on the seventh day of the week every single week. If you come into the book of Acts, you find the apostles worshipping on the same day of the week. They had time for fellowship. They had time for worship. They had time for relationship. And they did it uh, according to how God had designed it to be. Uh, do you know, I, I don't know about you, Marty, but you know, I mean, if you were to say to one of your, your children, hey, look, you know, I want you to uh, go 
and uh, uh, go and uh, go and have a have a rest. Uh, but your children came back to you and said, "Well, uh, yes, I'm going to have a rest, uh, but um, it's not going to be now. It's going to be you know four hours later." Uh, I, I mean, as a parent, what is that actually saying to you? Yeah, it's it's a sign that they're not really taking you as a parent really seriously. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and what we've actually got here is within the scriptures, we've actually got the foundation uh, for something that is incredibly beautiful. You know, Marty, uh, years ago, I, I will remember some people. They weren't actually Seventh Day Adventists, uh, but they came to uh, to me, and uh, uh, I actually was started to actually uh, share with them and study the scriptures with them. And uh, one of their first questions to me was was this: they, they had just discovered this thing. Uh, the Sabbath day as God intended it to, to be, the seventh day of the week and how to actually uh, spend time in fellowship and worship. And uh, they actually had a real go at me. Uh, they said, look, um, Pastor Gary, we respect you, but can you please tell us why is it that you, uh, your organization, and he was talking about the Seventh day, they were talking about the Seventh day Adventist Church, uh, why is it that you're so reticent to tell people how fantastic this day is? And, uh, you know, to me, I felt about two inches tall, and I'm a fairly <laughs> tall person naturally, but I was about, felt about two inches tall because suddenly they, had picked up the benefits, mm. the beauty, the brilliance of the Sabbath uh, in a uh, not from Seventh Day Adventists, but simply from the from the Word of God. And their only question to me was, "Why are you keeping this such a secret?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this is this is something that God gave as a gift to mankind. And whenever whenever we try and tamper with something that God has given. It doesn't get better. It only, it only gets worse because God's wisdom is always above our wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Sabbath is that beautiful reminder that God is our creator and mm-hmm. therefore he has authority in our lives. Now, as you know, we're going to be digging into this, um, the second encyclical here from, from Pope Francis and Laudato Diem today. Is this the solution to the problems that we see in the environment? And um, certainly this whole backdrop of Green Sundays, I think, has, you know, this certainly plays into it, that we can actually see movements happening in the religious world, but also in the political world, that actually are bringing people together in a way that is, um, well, it appears incredibly good, it appears incredibly noble, but perhaps well, according to the Bible, there's actually something else going on behind all of this. Don't want to dive into that right now, but what we do want to dive into is this beautiful song by Dave Hunt, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. I trust you'll be blessed as you listen to this song.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Pastor Marty and Pastor Gary. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the air this afternoon. It's a beautiful day here in Adelaide. And um, where, where are you listening from? Listeners, as uh, as you're listening and tuning in today, would love to give you the opportunity just to send us a text to tell us where you're listening in from today. And of course, our studio number is 04888880811. Why don't you just send us a text and let us know where it is you're listening from today and what the weather's like in your part of Australia today. Now, our subject that we're dealing with today is is a continuation of the Bible, the church, and the environment. And today we're looking at the Pope's uh, second encyclical, Laudato Diem. And we're ask, asking the question, is this the solution to the environment problems that we see in the world today? Now, before we dive into that, we do have a free giveaway it's a book called There is an Answer by Alejandro Bullon. And here's a brief description of what this book is about. Throughout human history, human beings have looked for answers to diverse questions of their daily life. Which is our greatest need as human beings? Where do we come from and where are we going? Why is there so much suffering? Is it possible to be happy? And what happens after death? Eleandro Bulon is very clear at raising the problems, honest at pointing out the consequences, and humble at providing solutions. His vast experience in dealing with people of different cultural and social backgrounds allows him to provide powerful answers to the reader. This is a brilliant, um, succinct book that uh, that answers life's biggest questions. Some of the chapter titles are... Um, are as follows. Can God change my life? Living longer and better. What happens after death? Will a new world order be established? When will the end of the world come? If you'd like to receive a free copy of this book, there is an answer. Simply send us a text and send us the code S A. One three nine, just five digits. S A one three nine, and send that to our studio number, which again is O four triple eight eight O eight eleven. Once you send us that code S A one three nine, and you send that code to O four triple eight eight O eight eleven, that will actually go to our Faith FM robot. And his name is Faithful, and he will do his best to actually get you that book as soon as possible. And I'm sure that you'll be blessed as you read this book by Alejandro Bullon. There is an answer. Pastor Gary, it's great to be back um, today in the studio looking at a really, really interesting subject today. Is Laudato Diem the solution to the problems with the environment? Yeah, look, this is a, this is a really big one, actually, uh, uh, Marty, because, you know, certainly over the last uh, week and a half, what we've been uh, digging into is the whole environmental crisis and certainly the uh, the reaction. And uh, the question we've primarily been asking is, uh, uh, why is it uh, that, well, can, um, uh, can the um, environmental uh, movement actually resolve the issues that they're hoping to resolve? And, I mean, we've, uh, we've struggled with 
with this, uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, this week we've looked at the uh, issue of human nature and, uh, you know, can human nature be expected uh, to uh, make the type of changes that are necessary uh, to see environmental improvement. And now, of course, just uh, last week we actually had uh, Pope Francis. He, uh, uh, he actually released a document. It's actually not an encyclical. It's actually one step just below an encyclical. It's called an apostolic exhortation. Uh, and, of course, Laudato Si was, uh, was actually an encyclical. This is just one step, uh, step below it. Um, but, and we'll come to that in just, uh, just a moment. But, uh, you know, some people, um, I'm conscious that some of our listeners may, may be asking the question, does it really matter? what Francis says on the issue of the environment. And why is it so significant? Why spend an entire program talking about this particular, uh, this particular issue? Uh, do you know, Marty, uh, a little while ago, I, uh, one of the things I, I really love doing on my holidays is being able to, to read, um, particularly non-fiction uh, material, uh, and uh, just just come up to speed, particularly a material in the uh, religious uh, realm, uh, the religious genre of books. Uh, you know, one of the, the books that I very recently uh, did actually read was, it was written in 2018. Uh, it's actually entitled Absolute Power, and to me this explains why this issue is actually so important. Absolute Power, how the papacy became the most influential uh, man how the Pope became the most influential man in the world now when I read that I sort of thought wow you know I mean is is the the Pope really the most influential man in the world uh, now this is written by uh, Paul Collins now of course uh, Paul Collins is uh, uh, an historian he's a broadcaster with degrees from Harvard the Australian National University he's author of the birth of the West he's worked with religious uh, as a religious commentator with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation the BBC the P, uh, the PBS uh, these are uh, you know just some of, some of his background he's done a lot of homework in this particular area now uh, do you know as you actually look at uh, this book you know how did the pope become the most uh, uh, influential man in the world people I might initially say hey you know I mean is that is that actually true uh, well uh, this is uh, this is on just inside the front cover this is how it's how it's presented in 1799 uh, it says the papacy was at rock bottom the papal states had been swept away Rome had been seized by revolutionary French armies and the cardinals were scattered across Europe. With the next papal election uncertain, it seemed that even if Catholicism survived, the papacy was going to be finished. And yet, just over 200 years later, the Pope's influence reaches across the world from Cuban politics to gender equality and the refugee crisis. Wow, that is that is significant, isn't it? Well, to, to that me, is huge. This, this is absolutely huge because this is not coming from you know a, a particularly religious author. This is coming from an from an historical author uh, writing a, a very significant uh, book. Uh, just, uh, uh, just tracking, uh, and, uh, uh, what he actually does, and it's really, it's really interesting, he actually tracks through each pope from 1799 right through mm. to the, uh, to the present day. And, uh, to me, uh, so much, uh, 
uh, here is uh, is revealed that certainly I didn't know very much about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've actually had uh, had people say to me, "Hey, oh, look, you know, I mean, uh, the papacy he's just one of uh, you know, you know, the pope is just one of many religions in the world. You know, you've got the you've got the Muslims, uh, you've got the uh, uh, you've got the got Christianity, you've got the Buddhists, you've got you know Hinduism, you know, major world religions. But you know, when you dig into some of this material, what you what you actually discover is that there is a there is an amount of authority here that no other uh, world religion possesses. You know, here we've actually got uh, a a power that's got a seat in mm. the United Nations. Yeah. Uh, here yeah. is a here is a, a power uh, that is able to uh, to sit on the consultative committees, uh, the significant. Consultative committees of uh, of the United of the UN, and you know, as you look at that, you turn around and you say, "Hey, there is no other religion that is consulted at that level." Yeah, uh, this is a religion that has diplomats uh, sent to their country, as well as sent from their uh, their country. We're going to come to that in just a moment, because this starts to explain as to why this is actually so significant. Uh, one of the um, uh, one of the, and I'll, let me just read you one one statement from uh, this book, Absolute Power: How the Pope Became the Most Influential Man in the World. It's hard to reconcile uh, at the beginning of the introduction. It says uh, that uh, this with the popes who from the early 12th century until uh, 1978 were crowned with a tiara of three crowns and addressed as the father of princes and kings and ruler of the world. This ridiculous nonsense has thankfully now been swept away, he says. But uh, the fact that it was in use for almost eight centuries tells you that the papacy has forgotten Christ on the cross and become besotted with power. Uh, what I want to show in this book is that the modern papacy has ridden, has risen from a near-death experience in 1799 at the end of the French Revolution and become more centralised and more powerful uh, than even uh, before in its entire history. Nowadays, the papacy is one of the most influential institutions in the entire world. It uses soft and hard power with skill and ability. Wow, that is a powerful quotation. Oh, look, look to, to me, when I, as I read this particular book, I started to come to an understanding of uh, uh, the type of authority we're talking. We're talking a blending of both the uh, uh, religious and the political worlds. Mm. And, mm. you know, every time in the past where there has been a blending of the religious with the political, uh, what's You're in that? trouble. You've actually been in trouble. Persecution. You, has actually that's, yeah. that's been been the outcome. You know that book, uh, and, and I, look, I would recommend it to anybody who who really wants to dig into this subject. Uh, Absolute power: How the Pope Became the Most Influential Man in the World, uh, written in two thousand or released in two thousand and eighteen. But the other uh, the other book that I also did have opportunity to read, and this tells me why uh, this in this um, uh, apostolic exhortation is just so vitally important. Uh, this book's entitled "God's Diplomats." Pope Francis, Vatican Diplomacy, and America's 
Armageddon. And this is certainly talking about the, uh, the diplomatic core uh, that's based at the, uh, at the Vatican. Now, uh, I, I'm part of a church and uh, we've got many departments in our church. Uh, but do you know what we don't have? We don't, we don't have, have diplomats. We don't have any diplomats. <laughs> there are no, there's no diplomatic core. I mean, uh, really, uh, people are uh, uh, not, not a political structure. This is not yeah. a, a, a political structure. And most world religions uh, talk about um, uh, religious themes. Uh, whereas here we've got something, uh, something far, uh, far greater. Uh, do you know, I, uh, uh, I, I really appreciate that, um, 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 let me just, uh, sorry, I just. You know, it's, it's interesting, Pastor Gary, that a, a lot of people just know almost intuitively that you don't mix religion and politics. This is not a, you know, this is not something that ends up going well when you, when you do that, because the moment you start to mix those things together, you actually begin to restrict people's freedom. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the most incredible gifts that God ever gave us is the gift of freedom, the ability to choose and to worship according to our own free will. But the moment that you start to kind of mix these things, you're heading back towards the dark ages, which was a time when religious decrees could be enforced through political powers. And, and of exactly. course, that led to literally millions of people dying as a result. Yeah. And look, this, this second book really, uh, emphasized this entire reality to me, to me yet again. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the comments that's actually made in, in this book, uh, uh, and this book is God's Diplomats, Pope Francis, Vatican Diplomacy in America's Armageddon. Um, um, the question worth exploring here, uh, says the author, and by the way, this is, uh, again, another non, non-fiction book. Why is the Catholic Church the only world religion that has the same diplomatic rights as a state? The only world religions. There are, uh, there are people who say to me, but you know, this is, they're just one of a, a number of large world religions. No, 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 no. There's a, there's a, there's an authority here that you have got nowhere else. Keep in mind, uh, he continues, the United Nations, which has emerged as the main arbiter of sovereignty and the, uh, and the status of in- international actors is clear that church authority does not derive from the pinprick of territory upon which the Holy See sits. There are actually four reasons. The historical legacy as a spiritual and political actor in the modern and pre-modern interstate system is number one. Mm. This linkage between politics and religion is incredibly significant. Uh, I I loved um, uh, one of the... um, um, one of the little stories that's told in in this book uh, that's, uh, that talks about uh, the knowledge that the diplomats of Rome actually actually have. Just, just listen to the story. The knowledge they possess and share with the home office in Rome is also a function of one of the most important characteristics of Vatican diplomacy, a wide and deep network, network which also proves to be incredibly efficient. And then you get this uh, this story. Nobody can beat us in info-gathering 
and glass and grassroots operations, declared Archbishop and his named Apostolic Nuncio of Spain. The Filipino diplomat offered a good example of the functionality of the network. Following graduation from uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the school for diplomats, uh, his first assignment was to Madagascar. While at a party, he ran into a colleague from a powerful embassy with a large staff. She told uh, the diplomat that her ambassador would soon be inaugurating a new dam and irrigation system in Madagascar, financed by the government. The um, uh, the uh, diplomat, the papal diplomat, asked his colleague if he knew who owned the land on which the dam was being built. She did not. So the priest told her that the Speaker of the Parliament owned the land, a fact that revealed a large potential corruption scheme and one uh, the embassy and the staff itself of hundreds had actually missed. Although he didn't tell his shocked colleague where he got his information, years later the diplomat revealed that the source was a community of nosy nuns living near the project. <laughs> wow. The, 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 the diplomat uh, said he thanked his religious intelligence operatives when he saw them next. Wow. You know, th- th- this book is actually full of story after story wow. after wow. story wow. Wow. of wow. How, how power is able to be used in a political sense. Mm. And, and, and you know, Marty... Wow. It, it, as you were sharing, it was also making me think that the the possibility of, you know, if you had a, you know, a Catholic leader, for example, you know, President Joe Biden is is a Catholic, and, um, you know, suppose that, that he went to confession, um, you know, th- what is to guarantee... That that information that is shared with with the priest is actually going to be, you know, a hundred percent confidential, mm. because in a situation like you've just mentioned, information can get leaked, uh, and uh, when there's and when there's, you know, a supposed a need for that information to uh, get broadcast and and get shared in order to you know for the betterment of mankind, so to speak can see how those things can and, and happen. look, it raises to me a really significant question. Should Bible believers be cautious of religio-political powers? Now, I suggest that this is something that we need to be taking taking on board. You know, to me it's really interesting that the Protestant reformers of the Middle Ages identified the institutional church of their, uh, of their era, and we're talking here the institutional church. That's what we're talking here, uh, as the mysterious Antichrist. In fact, a lot of what people don't actually realise is if you look at the original uh, Westminster Confession, and I do yeah. actually have it yeah. at home, it actually does actually identify the institutional church as being the Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, it, it identifies it uh, in a way that uh, certainly today, uh, you uh, uh, you couldn't actually say, but what they're referring to is the is the institutional church. Now, to me, the really significant thing is yeah, the, yeah, they're not talking about the individuals as such, but rather the the system, and I I, I suppose you could take the, the next step and also the hierarchy 
of, the, of the, the organization. Sister, the institutional church they found, they felt, uh, satisfied all the requirements, uh, in the, in the scriptures for, uh, being the Antichrist power. Now, uh, to me, uh, the really important question is why did they actually uh, make that belief? Why is that in the Westminster Confession of Faith? Well, actually, it's quite simple because uh, in the uh, in the uh, at the time of the Reformation, the Bible was starting to be uh, to be translated, uh, and uh, uh, it was being printed. The common people started to have access to the to the Bible, and of course, what became abundantly clear is what was in the Bible being taught by Jesus and the apostles was not what was being taught by the institutional church. And, that, and that's why they wanted a reformation. They, you know, they never intended to start new churches. They were hoping to bring reform because they were all, they were all members of the, and you know, they, of, and they the, loved, of that system. they loved their institutional they church. They did, of course. They, and this is something that you look at it and you turn around and say, hey, you know, what you've got is this incredibly powerful body that uh, has somehow moved and I wish I had time to go through this but somehow it's moved away from what the word of God actually says and you can show illustration after illustration after illustration that's why the um, Christian churches that came out of the institutional church at that time were called Protestants because they were protesting they were protesting against in fact it comes from the the, the German prince who uh, were protesting against the um, uh, against the institutional church of, of their particular era. Now, uh, why is all this uh, so so important? Uh, do you know what I'm what I'm trying to to suggest to you is what we have here in the current institutional church is a religio-political organization that is, uh, that is, uh, that has moved a long way from the word of God. I mean, to me, you think of about it today. Uh, you know, the word of God today is abundantly clear that there is a, uh, a form of family life, uh, that has been given to us by God. Uh, but right now, we're seeing church after church, we're finding the institutional church itself is moving away from uh, the precepts that have been given to us in the Word of yeah, God. Yeah, and and that makes sense when you c- consider that it is a religious political movement because, because, you know, the Word of God doesn't change, but as as society changes, in order to gain, I suppose, votes, popularity... That's very much, you know, that's a political maneuver to actually, I guess, adjust your beliefs or adjust at least the way that you present yourself as an organization. That, you know, that, that's, that's quite a, a subtle and, and, political maneuver. What I'm actually suggesting to you, uh, Marty, is that, uh, the current apostolic exhortation, Laudate Diem, is in fact a political maneuver. That's why this all this background. And I'll, I'll, I just want to show you just a couple of things in this, but let's do it after the break. Let's jump to some music and we're going to dive straight into Laudato Diem. When peace like a
was Audrey Assad with that beautiful old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And um, I want to welcome our listeners back to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A, with, with Marty and Pastor Gary. And this week, we are continuing with the theme, the Bible, the Church, and the Environment. And we're actually looking at the Pope's second encyclical mm-hmm. on the environment today, Laudato Diem. And we're asking the question, is this really the solution to the issue of, of the environment and climate change. Now, before we dive straight back into that topic, I want to just again mention to our listeners today that we do have a free offer. I want to thank those from Queensland and from, and from South Australia who've actually, um, texted in and who, um, who have, will be receiving this wonderful book. And of course, this is a free offer and we'd love to be able to give you this particular book. It's called There Is an Answer. And this is a book which deals with life's biggest questions. It answers questions such as, where do we come from and where do, where are we going? Why is there so much suffering? What happens after death? Can God change my life? Living longer and better. Will a new world order be established? And when will the end of the world come? This book, There is an Answer, is written by Eliandro Bulon. And he, he has a remarkable experience in dealing with people from different cultures and social conditions. And so he's able to write in such a way that really is appropriate and is easy to connect with a variety of different, different readers from different backgrounds. And so this is a book that looks at Bible answers to these big questions. If you would like a free copy of this book, there is an answer by Alejandro Bulon, then all you've got to do is send us a text to our studio number. Now, the code that you need to send us to get this particular book is SA139. So the code again, five digits, SA139. And if you send that code to 04 triple eight eight oh eight eleven that number again oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven if you send sa139 to that number then that will actually come to our faith fm robot and we will ensure that we can get you this book in a timely manner so I want to thank you once again uh, and welcome our dear listeners back to Faith FM Drive Time. We are going to now be digging into the specifics of the Pope's second encyclical on climate change. Pastor Gary. Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Marty. And look, you know, I mean, certainly the other day I sat down and, and spent um, an hour or two actually actually reading the the entire encyclical. It, well, it's actually an apostolic exhortation. It's not actually an encyclical. Uh, and it, it commences, as you'd largely um, uh, uh, expect, uh, pointing out that uh, uh, the world is actually in crisis and that uh, uh, leaders are increasingly worried. Now, uh, to me, this isn't. We've talked about this earlier in the uh, in the week, uh, but that's certainly the uh, uh, the reality. I think that many in our secular world uh, would uh, uh, would quite happily accept. Uh, but then uh, there's a section that uh, where he actually moves to the weakness of international politics, and uh, I, I find this, you know, as a uh, as a world um, uh, as a religious leader, uh, he moves straight into. The 
the political issues. And uh, these are some of the things that um, uh, that that he, he states in this area. Uh, firstly, he suggests that there's a weakness in international politics. The issue is that organisations must be endowed with real authority in such a way to provide for the attainment of certain essential goals. Uh, one of the things, Marty, that he uh, he certainly emphasises is that uh, the goals have been uh, have been worthy, uh, but uh, they haven't been backed up by any method uh, by which uh, they can actually be enforced. And we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, it continues, he says. This is paragraph thirty six. Uh, he it continues to be regrettable that global crises are being squandered when they could be occasions to bring about beneficial changes. This is what happened in the 2007-2008 financial crisis and again in the COVID crisis. It's regrettable that global crises are being squandered when they could be occasions to bring about beneficial change. Yeah, wow, wow. And, and I, when I, I read that, I mean, that it was certainly in Laudato's say, the original one as well, but, you know, a global crisis, we're seeing them with monotonous irregularity actually occurring at uh, at this point in time. Uh, mm. But uh, his suggestion, his recommendation, uh, his encouragement is that we ought to be utilising these to actually change our society. We need to reconfigure multilateralism. Now, multilateralism is a situation in which several countries work together to deal with a particular issue. We need to reconfigure that. Now, more than saving the old multilateralism, it appears that the current challenge is to reconfigure and recreate it, taking into account the new world situation. Uh, do you know, to me, then, there needs to be changes in the way that our world is governed. Uh, do you know, mm-hmm. as I look at mm-hmm. this, you know, are mm-hmm. these the, are the statements that I'd expect of a religious leader or of a political leader? Well, actually, they're the statements of a political leader. And mm-hmm. it's, it's when, uh, religion and politics come together that you start to get, uh, incredible, uh, challenges. Uh, he, he, he shares in, uh, paragraph 42, uh, our world has become so multipolar. And by the way, you can get this online if you want to, uh, just, just, uh, download it. Now, our world become so multipolar um, and at the same time so complex that a different framework for effective cooperation is required. It's not enough to think only of balances of power, but also the need to provide a response to the new problems and to react with global mechanisms to environmental, public health, cultural and social challenges. Now, I found that incredibly significant. Wow, uh, wow, this, wow, wow. This isn't That's just, significant. This isn't just a talking about the environment. Uh, we need to f- find a, provide a response. We need to, um, uh, we need to find a way of reacting with global mechanisms to environmental, public health, cultural and social challenges, especially in order to consolidate respect for the most elementary human rights, social rights and the uh, protection of our common home. Protection of our common home is added on the end. What sort of social rights are we actually talking about? Who's actually going to define these uh, social rights? It's a matter of establishing global and effective rules that can permit providing for this global safeguarding. We need global rules 
Now, of course, if you have global rules, wow. Wow. you've actually got to have someone who's actually able to, uh, to, to, dare I say, enforce, um, that, uh, that, that rulership. All this, uh, paragraph 43, presupposes the development of a new procedure for decision making and legitimizing, uh, those decisions since, uh, the, um, since the one that was put in place several decades ago is not sufficient, uh, nor does it appear, appear uh, very effective. Uh, it then, uh, um, it then uh, comments on the way things have, have been occurring for a, a little, a little while. And uh, paragraph 52 says this. Today we can continue to state that the accords that we have made have been poorly implemented due to lack of suitable mechanisms for oversight, periodic review, and penalties in case of non-compliance. The principles which they proclaimed still await an efficient and flexible means of practical implementation. What do we actually need? We need oversight, periodic review, and penalties for the sake of non-compliance. Now, who's actually Mm -hmm. going to... This is sounding very controlling, isn't it? This is sounding like, you know... That, that people, and, and, and it's, it's typical to, to use a good cause to, to attempt to sometimes, you know, and sometimes, you know, this is, when, when it comes to this whole issue of climate change, I think we can agree that, yeah, you know, we, we, we agree that we should do what we can. The Bible tells us we should, we should do what we can. God is, we will destroy those who destroy the earth. Therefore, we need to do what we can to protect the earth. Mm. But it's the issue of how do you go about doing that? And, and of course, here what we've what uh, what uh, this uh, uh, encyclical is actually doing is uh, bringing a political solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, yesterday, mm-hmm. the thing which we discovered was that political solutions are never going to be able to, to resolve the uh, the green issues. Uh, why aren't they? Well, because of the problem of the human heart. The human heart is deceitful, according to the Scriptures, above all yeah. things, and desperately yeah. wicked. And now, uh, how can you actually uh, say to a person who is you know, an unconverted person who is grasping uh, after wealth, uh, you say to them, look, hey, I want you to to, uh, uh, to care for your environment, but on the other hand, uh, I actually want to be able to dig out the last uh, uh, the last few few dollars to add to my bank account. Uh, you know, I mean, how do you can you simulate the problem uh, with the uh, and whole environmental issue is the heart of humanity. Yeah, Solve right. that problem. That's why when Jesus Christ came, what he did is he talked to uh, certainly his disciples. He talked to Nicodemus and said, "You must be born again." Uh, uh, when you're born yeah. again, you start to think differently and you care not just for your family, uh, not just for uh, others, uh, but you also care for your environment. A heart change is what's actually needed. Uh, yet uh, the entire challenge with this, uh, with this um, uh, encyclical, sorry, not the encyclical, the apostolic exhortation, uh, is that uh, it is political in nature. It, re- it, it suggests political problems, it, it, it suggests political solutions to an environmental problem. Uh, the problem is, is that um, certainly from my understanding of the word of God, a political solution to environmental problems is never going to 
work. And this, this, and this is the key, you know, and this highlights the fact that you were saying, Pastor Gary, that Jesus, when he was on this earth, didn't seek to impact and change political, um, he didn't get involved in the political arena, but he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he appealed to people's hearts and he's appealing to people's hearts today. And when you change, when a person's heart is changed, then their world will change. Exactly. You know, that's, that's actually, the most effective and the only way to bring about positive change. Well, friends, it looks like our time is up for today. I want to thank you for joining Pastor Gary and I on Drive Time. Big Q&A. It's been a fascinating topic to to look into. And I want to invite you to join us again tomorrow when it's actually going to be Pastor Hugh and Pastor Gary's going to be back three days in a row, Pastor Gary. And um, they will be discussing what does it mean to be a faithful environmental steward? Mm. What does it mean to follow in what the Bible says. I want to leave you with these words from God. He says to us in the Bible, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. May you know and experience the wonderful plan that God has for your life. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 